Welcome to Leading Lights. You are about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Hello there. Easter is the time when Christians around the world celebrate the death, but primarily the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, Christians really do believe that a human being called Jesus of Nazareth, who grew up poor and not notable in any way, died at the hands of the Romans. He was brutally killed as a criminal, and then he rose again on the third day. Yes, we actually believe that. He rose again from the dead, and he lives forevermore. It is the essence of Christianity. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul is summarizing the gospel, he says Jesus died, was buried, rose again, as the scriptures have said. And so it is so important. And I want to start today a series of sermons called Raised with Christ. We're talking about Easter, but we're leading into what it means for you and me. What does it mean if Jesus was who he said he was? What does it mean if Jesus did die brutally for our sins? What does it mean if Jesus rose again from the dead? And how does it impact my life and yours? These are really important questions. And I'm going to be using a main text of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm starting from verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul would mention people by name and thank God for them in his prayers. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying specifically for them and we can accept those prayers for us because it's in the Bible. He's praying that they would have wisdom, revelation, knowledge, that their understanding, that their minds and understanding would be changed. Revelation and knowledge of him. Then he says in verse 18, he makes it more uh, specific. He says that the eyes of your understanding, or many versions say the eyes of your hearts, may be enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This is a big deal, friends, and I want you to just get this idea here. Paul says, yes, you, wonderful Corinthians, have physical eyes. And obviously, we want your eyes physicalized to work. But more importantly, your eyes of your heart must be opened. What are the eyes of your heart? He is saying there are some things that you may not be able to see with your physical eyes, but if you see them with your heart, there may be invisible things. You know, the scientists say that 95% of everything there is is dark matter and dark energy. These are things that they cannot see or measure or understand even, but they know they're there. They say we can only see and perceive about 5% of everything there is. Isn't that amazing? And Paul is saying the same thing, but in a different context. He says, the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart, let me say your spiritual or your faith eyes must be opened to see what is all around you, because then you will understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints we will understand what God has for us. I want to echo Paul's prayer for myself 
but for all of us, that the eyes of our hearts and understanding would be open, that we would have a spirit of wisdom, revelation, our knowledge of Him to understand what He has given us. This is hugely important. But then he goes on to say, and now this is where it gets so beautiful, powerful, life-changing. He says in verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness? You know, sometimes radio commentators, especially sports commentators, are criticized because they use so many superlative words. They say, that's amazing, fantastic, incredible, unbelievable. And they use these huge words, and it almost becomes too many words. But you know, when Paul uses these amazing superlatives here in the Bible, we know that they are God's words. God breathed this, and so they are true. They are not exaggerations. He says, listen to these superlatives, these big words. What is, he's praying for us to understand what God has given us. He says, what, I'm praying that you would understand what is the exceeding greatness. Exceeding greatness more than you could think was great, of His power, His power, God's power. This is the God who created the whole universe, His power, toward us who believe, toward us who believe. That is just an amazing sentence. God's power toward us who believe. And that believing is the key. When we believe or when the eyes of our hearts and our faith are opened when we believe and we can see something that our physical eyes can't see, then all of this becomes available to us. But let me let me just finish the sentence. Oh, he says, I want you to get a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. It's like he's just piling big descriptive words on top of each other. Exceeding greatness, working, power, mighty power, according to the working of his mighty power. And now he gives us a picture to help us understand. And I'm so grateful for the pictures in the Bible. You know, the Bible is full of pictures or stories. And then other parts of the Bible refer back to those stories or pictures and say, this is an illustration for you to understand. Jesus used pictures or parables so many times when he was preaching, the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament are full of these stories. And we're told that they were given for us to understand the, the real truths of life. And he's about to give us a picture. So he's just said, God's working mighty great power. I want you to see it. I want your eyes of your heart to be open. And now he's going to give us a picture that we can look at and say, oh, now I understand. He says, it's according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So this is the picture I want you to imagine. Imagine with me the cold, dark tomb where Jesus was buried. At about three in the afternoon on the day that Jesus died, he died and he was taken off the cross. He was taken into a, a cave or a tomb that was just a hole in the rock. It didn't have lots of entrances and exits. It was just a hole in the rock and the front entrance was going to be sealed up with a big stone and then a Roman seal put on it so it couldn't be open. And there's a dark, cold tomb, a cave where Jesus is dead body is laid. So at about three in the afternoon, he's taken down. Nicodemus, 
uh, takes the body, puts it in this tomb. A few of the ladies, uh, Mary and a, and a couple of others, are watching from a distance where the body is laid. The, the stone is rolled in front, a Roman seal is placed on it, and the Roman guards are placed outside, the soldiers, to make sure nobody can get in and steal the body. And that is the start of this picture. He says, the working, the thing that I want you to understand with the eyes of your heart, is the working of God's mighty power toward us who are believers, who believe in Him. And it's like the working of God's power, which He worked in Christ when He was dead and on the third day, he's been there for many, many hours in a cold, dark place. His body functions have ceased to move and work. And uh, after a few days, suddenly something happens. God's power. God's supernatural power. It's not a power that we can really understand. I mean, there were no electricity cables. There's nothing that we can really comprehend. How did this power happen? But it's this unseeable power, something significant from the spiritual, invisible God realm of creation came in and made power come into Jesus's body. He says, this is the picture I'm wanting you to imagine. Jesus's dead body, suddenly power comes in. Life comes back. But his body is changed. His body is different now. He can eat and he can be touched, but he can pass through walls and he can go to heaven and back whenever he wants to. So he's got a spiritual body, but it's still a body. And power has come in and he's rose, he's risen again from the dead. He takes off the cloths that have been wrapping his body and he puts them down where his body was laid. And the stone is rolled away again by power and Jesus is gone. He's out of the tomb. And very soon afterwards, Mary Magdalene and various other people see him and they see this risen Christ. The first time Mary says, Lord, and she wants to touch him. He says, no, don't touch me. I need to go up to heaven. And he quickly goes up to heaven and then he's back. And then he allows people to touch him. Uh, and then over a period of 40 days, he eats with them. He talks with them. He walks with them. He teaches them. He helps them and strengthens them. But the picture is this of power coming into a dead, lifeless body. No life, nothing in it. It is completely inanimate. It is just matter, just cells, just chemicals, uh, nothing alive. And suddenly God's power comes in. Paul says, that's the power that's in you. Start to imagine it. Power comes into this lifeless body. It rises and then it says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So after 40 days, Jesus then ascends to heaven in the clouds and the, the followers, the believers are watching him going up into heaven um, and, and they're amazed. And the Bible tells us that he then went into heavenly places. He sat at the right hand of God the Father and God crowned him or anointed him as king of the universe. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, when kings were anointed, when they became a king, oil was poured all over them and it ran all over their bodies. And that was a sign of God's blessing. And they are now the king. Jesus sits down at the right hand of God and oil is poured all over him. And it runs down to the believers on earth. And the day of Pentecost happens and they're filled with the spirit. Now, this is what Paul says. Get this picture. Dead body. Power comes in. It comes to life. It's a different new life. It's a, it's a spiritual life, but it's also physical. And then after 40 days, it goes up and that body is seated 
in heavenly places. This is the picture. Why am I laboring this point? Because it is such an important point. If we get this picture, it will help us. The eyes of our hearts will be opened to see something that our physical eyes may not be able to comprehend. He goes on to say, far above. So he seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Again, the superlatives. He says, Jesus is now above everything. And he starts to list things. And then when he runs out of things that he can think of, he says, every name that can be named. Jesus is above everything. And then he says, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He says, it's, it's a, an overarching rulership and an eternal rulership. He is king forever. He is above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that's to come. That's where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places. And then for the rest of this passage, he says, but it's for you, Christian, and for me. He says it's for us. He takes the picture. We've, we've imagined in our minds this dead body, no life, alive again and then ascended and so powerful and full of authority and dominion. He says, that's a picture. Listen to what he says. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then the very next words, he says, and you were dead. Let me just read you what he says in, in uh, chapter two. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Just as I've, I've described Jesus being dead and coming to life and reigning, and I've told you it's for the church. He says, you, Christian, you were dead. You were just like that dead, lifeless body. And God has brought life into you and raised you up. And then in verse 5, he says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am seated on that throne with Christ now. That is what he wanted the eyes of your heart to be opened to. And it is the most astounding, amazing, incredible, uh, life-giving truth. If we can just allow the eyes of our hearts and our understandings to come awake and to override what our physical eyes tell us. Why am I saying that? Because my physical eyes tell me I'm still here on earth. I'm still a fleshly human being subject to all the problems of earth. I still fail. That's what my physical eyes tell me. My physical eyes tell me all the history of my life and the mistakes I've made and the things that have happened to me and the things that I've done. And I'm so dominated by my physical eye sense that I can't allow this truth that maybe I'm a new creation. Maybe I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I can't allow that to override. And I need to get this truth into my heart. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be repeating this from different aspects and angles to try and help us understand that we are raised with Christ. Wow. Absolutely amazing. But now just for the last few moments that I have, 
I want to talk about the first step in this process. So we're going to look at all the steps. He was dead. He was raised. He was buried. He was raised. Uh, he rose up and he ascended and he was crowned king of the universe. We're going to look at that and see how it applies to us and, and allow the eyes of our hearts to be open. But I want to talk about the first aspect. You know, Jesus said in John 12, verse 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains just a seed, just a husk, just potential, but no life. But then when it's buried underground, life happens and it produces so much fruit and grain. 2 Timothy 2 verse 11 says, This is a faithful saying, If we died with him, we shall also live with him. And this is the first point that I want us to see. So, I've wanted you to understand that we need our eyes of our heart opened, that Paul gives us a picture of Jesus being dead and then rising again and ascending. And that's how we will understand the power that God has for us. But the first aspect of that is we have to be dead. <laughs> now, I know we've already read that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, we were separated from God and we had no way of finding God. And that is true. And that is definitely a biblical truth that God had to give us life. But these verses say that we also have to identify with the death of Jesus in order to identify with the resurrection power of Jesus. Let me read you Romans 6 just to, just to make this point even clearer. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You say, but did I die to sin? Verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So the first part is his death. And when I get baptized, I am identifying and I'm saying I was part of Jesus' body when he died. He died on my behalf and I died in him. I died with him. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I was buried with him. I died with him and I was buried with him if I identify with him. Now, this is my point. Have you identified with Jesus' death? Have you, my friend? Let me tell you why I'm saying this. You know, many people that I know, and it's been true in my own life to a certain degree, we hear a message of the gospel and we hear about Jesus dying for us and how he loves us. And we say, I want that. Just as I want a new gym membership at the beginning of a year, just as I want this new gadget, just as I want a relationship, just as I want prestige, just as I want food, drink, all the things I want, I want new life and we think I can just add it to my existing life like a possession and I add it to my collection of possessions. But Jesus said, no, you have to be willing to die to your old life. And 2 Timothy 2 says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. To the degree that I'm willing to die, that is the degree that I will experience his new life. 
And this is a shocking statement, especially for us selfish modern Christians. We think everything's about me and for me, and I can just take all these blessings and, and add them to my life. But there is a, a cost. There is a catch. Yes, salvation is free. Jesus bought it for us and gave his life so that we could receive it freely. But I can't take hold of the life raft without letting go of the sinking ship that is called my life. I need to choose. It's Christ's life or my life. Christ is Lord and King and boss of my life, or I am. <laughs> I have His identity and I'm living for Him, or I have my old identity and I'm living for me. He tells me what I can and can't do and how to live, or I tell myself what is right. And I need to choose. And that is what dying to self is all about. And I want us to just spend the last few moments here looking at this. So he says, verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. He says there's an old man. This is a, a theme that runs through the New Testament where he says there's an old man, which is you, as you were when you were born with your own family heritage, your nationality, your track record of good and bad deeds, your sins, your guilt, your hang-ups. There's an old man that wants to sin. And he says there's a new man, a new creation. And various verses in the New Testament talk about this new man. It says, put off the old man, put on the new man. And he says, my old man was crucified with him. Just a little joke here. Somebody said to me once when I was a young Christian, did you know that Paul the Apostle's father was one of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus? And I believed him. And he said, Romans 6 says, Paul's old man was crucified with Christ. And old man is a slang term for father when I was growing up. And for several months, I believed that Paul's dad was one of the two thieves on the cross until I realized this person was joking. They had a dry sense of humor. They didn't tell me it was a joke. They left it for me to pick it up. But Paul says, my old man, your old man, the old you with your own identity, pride, uh, lordship over your old, uh, own life was crucified with Christ. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with. The blessing and benefit of allowing that old man to die is the power of sin over me is done away with and I can rise to power and new life. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You know, if you don't worry about your own reputation, your own well-being, if you say I'm willing to die and Christ is the Lord of my life, a whole lot of the temptations, the pride and the lust for things and all these different temptations just drop away because you say, I don't have a reputation. I'm Christ's now. I live for him. And I don't mind if people like me or not. He likes me. He goes on to say, uh, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And now in verse 11, he tells us how we make this real in our lives. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, do not let sin reign in your body. And I want to just focus on this little phrase, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. 
reckon yourselves. What does that word reckon yourself mean? It's translated consider yourself. It's a logic word. The Greek word is logizomai. And it basically means think. Let your thoughts determine what is true instead of your feelings, your desires, uh, your track record, your physical sight. Let your what you know to be true in your head reckon yourself to be as God says you are. Another way of saying this is when you look in the physical mirror, you see your physical body. When you look in the spiritual mirror, James 1 says the Bible is the mirror of God's word. It tells you who you are in Christ. Let this mirror determine your actions and your identity rather than what the physical says, rather than what your track record says. Reckon yourself dead to sin. Renew your mind. Fill yourself with God's word and say, I am who God says that I am. I reckon myself. You know, when you move country and you become a citizen of a new country, you may still talk the language of your old country. You may still have the customs of your old country. You may still think like you used to think and feel like you used to feel. But when you get that new passport that says, I am now a citizen of this country, that is true. And every day from then on, you are retraining yourself to become like a citizen of that country. Friend, you and I are citizens of heaven. We died with Christ. We've got to allow the old to go and renew our minds and reckon ourselves to be as God says. The new man is full of righteousness, just like God, just like Jesus, uh, a new creation. The old is gone. All things are made new. I am a new creation, loved by God, righteous, holy, close to him, seated right next to God in heavenly places, full of God's blessing, power, and authority. And when I get that, when I reckon myself, you say, Greg, can I really reckon myself? You know, you do it every day. You get a piece of information in the mail from the bank that says your account is overdrawn and you say, oh, and your emotions go down. And then another letter arrives a few days later saying, we made an error. You've actually got lots of money and your emotions go up. You allow information to change you. You reckon yourself based on something you think is true. If a doctor says to you, you go to the doctor, you say, I have heart pains and you think you're going to die. And he says, no, it's just indigestion. You reckon yourself to be healthy because he said so. Friends, take God's word. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. I died with Christ. My old life is gone. Lord Jesus, I live for you. And as that renewal happens in your mind, you will rise again with Christ to new life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.